0: Welcome to another edition of Criminal Discourse Podcast. I'm Trish and I'm solo with you here today. So I'm not going to waste any time and I'm just going to jump right into this episode. We are going to Austria. So our episode starts in the early 1990s. Now, Austria is a landlocked country located in Central Europe. It is made up of nine federated states, including Vienna, Austria's capital. Famous citizens of Austria include actor, politician Arnold Schwarzenegger, Marie Antoinette, and Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Now, before we get started, I just want to apologize in advance if I do not pronounce some of the names or locations correctly. I've been trying to do that, but their European pronunciations, and I may get some of them wrong. So I apologize in advance. And the other thing is to note that in Austria, prostitution, sex work, is legal and regulated by law and has been for several years. Sex service workers are considered self-employed but are required to have medical checkups every six weeks. Now, since they are self-employed, sex workers have been required to pay taxes since 1986. The majority of sex workers, however, are from other countries, including Slovakia or other Eastern European countries nations. Only about 5% of licensed sex workers in Austria are in fact Austrian. So our story starts on September 15th, 1990. Hikers walking along the Vlatva River in Czechoslovakia, which is located near Prague, came across the body of a young woman lying on her back with her legs spread, and she was nude. She had what looked like a pair of gray stockings wrapped around her neck and her lower body had been covered in some leaves and sticks. Her clothing and purse were thrown into the nearby river. The young woman would turn out to be Blanca Bakova, who had gone out drinking with friends the night before in Wenceslas Square. Blanca had decided to stay at the bar after her friends had left around 11.45 that night. She had been seen talking to a white male at the bar who looked to be about in his 40s. But after that, she was never seen alive again. So investigators didn't really seem to have any leads on who this man might have been. Now several weeks later another woman would go missing in October of 1990. Her name was Brunhilde Moser, a 39-year-old sex worker from Graz, Austria. Brunhilde had worked in the sex trade industry for about the past 10 years. And on December 5, 1990, another Austrian sex worker, Heidi Marie Hammerer, age 31, would also disappear. Like Brunhilde, she was a licensed sex worker and had also been working in that industry for the previous 10 years. On December 31, 1990, Heidi Marie's body would be discovered by hikers in a heavily forested area about 10 miles outside of Graz. The body had been left exposed to the elements, but due to the cold temperatures, her body was relatively preserved. Heidi Marie had been covered in leaves and it appeared that she had been redressed, at least the top part of her. At some point, the perpetrator deciding to leave her legs bare and a piece of material from her slip would be found lodged in her mouth. Investigators could see that she had been restrained at some point due to the marks left on her wrists. She had also been strangled with her pantyhose. Now, during the autopsy, pathologists discovered red fibers that were inconsistent with the clothing she had been found in. They also noted that there was no seminal fluids found on her body or clothing. Now, a few weeks after Heidi Marie's body had been found, Brunhilde's body was discovered in a stream bed in a wooded area outside of Bregenz. Her body was badly decomposed at the time of the discovery, but she also had looked to have been strangled, similar to the other victim. Now, authorities in Austria had few leads to go on it, and at this point, they were unaware of Blanca's murder, not tying her death to their murdered sex workers. They had no idea that they were dealing with a serial killer. They caught on soon enough, though, when another sex worker from Graz, Elfrida Schrumpf, age 35, disappeared on March 7, 1991. What made her disappearance different from the others at this point were the taunting phone calls made to her parents. Elfrieda's parents' phone number was unlisted, so authorities felt that the calls may have come from the person that had abducted her. Elfrida's skeletal remains wouldn't be discovered until October 5, 1991. Her body was found in a wooded area outside of Graz. Covered in leaves, and she had been strangled with an article of her own clothing. Now, thinking perhaps these sex worker murders were isolated to Graz would turn out to be false, as four more prostitutes would go missing in Vienna all within a month. Sabine Matzel, who was 23 at the time, her body would be discovered on May 20th, 1992, along with Karen Ugulu age 25. Both women had been found in wooded areas outside of Vienna, strangled to death by articles of their own clothing. The other two women who went missing were Silva Zagler, age 23, and Regina Prim, age 32. Silva's body would be discovered among a stand of trees. Now, in October 1991, Regina's husband would receive phone calls from her killer telling him that he was her executioner and that God had told him to do it and that she was left in a place of sacrifice and her face turned towards hell. Could you imagine getting that phone call? Now, what all these victims had in common is that they were all strangled with articles of their own clothing, left in various stages of undress, and all had bruises on their bodies, especially around their wrists. Now, one day, a 70-year-old retired police detective, August Scheiner, was reading about the murders of the area sex workers when he felt he had seen this MO before. Scheiner had investigated similar crimes in 1974, and the person that was ultimately convicted was Johann Jack Unterweger. He went by Jack. So back in 1974, Scheiner was investigating the murder of two women. 18-year-old Margaret Schaefer was abducted by Unterweger and a female sex worker, Barbara Scholz. Now, Barbara and Margaret had been friends at one point. The couple had taken Margaret into the nearby woods where they tied her up, and when Unterweger demanded that Margaret have sex with him, she refused, and he became enraged, bludgeoning her with a steel pipe. He then left her nude body lying face up, but partly covered in leaves. When Unterweger was taken into custody, he confessed to Margaret's murder, claiming that when he began And to strike Margaret, he started to have visions of his mother, whom he despised. And he took all his rage out on Margaret until she was dead. A psychiatrist would end up diagnosing Unterweger as a sexually sadistic psychopath with narcissistic and histrionic tendencies who was prone to acts of rage and anger. He was deemed an incorrigible predator. A second victim, Marcia Horvath's body, was discovered in a lake near Salzburg, but Unterweger denied having committed that murder. So Unterweger only stood trial for Margaret's murder, and he was convicted in 1976 and sentenced to life imprisonment. The authorities decided not to move forward with trying him for Marcia's murder because he was already serving a life sentence. Jack Unterweger was born on August 16, 1951 in Steiermark, Austria, to a Viennese sex worker and an unknown American soldier who was stationed in Austria after World War II. Unterweger didn't have an easy upbringing, having been raised in poverty and having a very unstructured home life. Jack was predominantly raised by his grandfather in a one-room cabin from about the age of two on, after his mother was arrested and then eventually abandoned him. His grandfather was not one you would describe as loving and kind, but more of an alcoholic and an abusive tyrant. He would also draw Jack into his own crimes, having him help him steal area farm animals mm for instance, by the age of 24, Unterweger had 16 criminal convictions on his record, mostly due to sexual assaults and theft related offenses. His first arrest for sexual assault came at the age of 16 against a sex worker. He would spend most of those years behind bars, but when he was released briefly is when he murdered Margaret Schaefer. When Unterweger started serving his life sentence in 1976, he was illiterate, having basically never attended school. Over the next four 14 years, he reinvented himself, learning to read and write while incarcerated in Stein Prison. Unterweger would publish poems, plays, short stories, children's stories, and an autobiography about his life published in 1983 entitled Purgatory or the Trip to Prison. Report of a Guilty Man. In his book, he painted himself as a victim due to his life circumstances. Now, his work brought him a lot of attention, with critics praising him, and he even won literary awards. These works made him a celebrity among the influential Austrian citizens who then called for his release from prison, claiming he was rehabilitated through his art. Calls for his release actually started in 1985. Now, at the time, Austrian President Rudolf Kirschlager refused the petition for. Unterweger's release on the grounds that he had to at least serve the minimum of 15 years. However, that day came on May 23, 1990, and Unterweger was released after serving 15 years of a life sentence. At the time, a psychiatrist surmised Unterweger had channeled his aggression through his creative writings. I'm not sure this is the same psychiatrist that said he was an incorrigible predator. Not wasting any time. Jack Unterweger made the television circuit, posing himself as a model for prison rehabilitation. His autobiography started to even be taught in school and was even turned into a movie. His children's stories were performed all over Austrian radio. He was a celebrated guest at high society dinner parties and, of course, the money started to flow in. Unterweger could be seen driving around Austria in a Ford Mustang and wearing designer clothing. And his celebrity status brought him some job prospects. He was hired by a popular German magazine to cover the sex worker murders. Now to the public, he restored the community's belief that even the most heinous of criminals could be rehabilitated. But what the public didn't know is that they had been snowed. Within weeks of his release, Unterweger began killing again. On April 4, 1991, Austrian police developed a task force to focus on the sex worker murders, as this was the first time in Austrian's modern history that they were dealing with a serial killer. They had never had a case like this up to this point. They felt at the time that due to the similarities of the killings, there was one individual who were committing these murders, and one of their main suspects was Unterweger based on the information shared by the retired detective. One Austrian federal detective, Dr. Ernst Geiger, began to discreetly surveil Unterweger, never truly believing that he had been reformed. Now, amid these murders, Unterweger was hired by another Austrian magazine, and on June 2, 1991, he traveled to the United States, Los Angeles, California specifically. His task was to compare crime in the United States to Austria, specifically how attitudes towards prostitution vary between the two countries. Unterweger was able to arrange several ride-alongs with Los Angeles police, focusing specifically on areas populated by prostitutes. Meanwhile, back in Austria, Officer Geiger noticed that when Unterweger traveled to the United States, the killings had stopped in Austria. Police began to look into the paper trail that Unterweger left to see if they could tie him to the area sex workers had last been seen in. And they were able to place him at all the murder locations in Austria. Now, this could be explained away as he had been there due to his job writing about the murders. But investigators in Austria determined that he always seemed to arrive to the murder locations prior to the murders taking place. It was through this research that they were able to tie Unterveger to Blanca's murder in Prague in September 1990, because up to this point, they hadn't been able to. They didn't even know there was a connection. Now, back in Los Angeles, on June 20th, the first of three bodies would be found. The first victim was Shannon Exley, a 35-year-old prostitute who was found nude in Boyle Heights, with her bra wrapped around her neck. DNA collected from her body would show seven different profiles, but detectives at the time had no one to compare them to. Then on June 30th, a second victim would be found in the same area. 33-year-old Irene Rodriguez, who worked as an a prostitute. She had been found behind a tractor trailer about a mile from where Shannon's body had been found. She had also been strangled with her bra. Then on July 10th, victim number three, 26-year-old Peggy Booth, who also worked in the sex trade industry. Now, Peggy's was slightly different from the other two victims as her body was found in a Malibu canyon. All three victims would be tied together due to their manner of death. Each had been horrifically beaten, had been strangled with their bras, and each victim, had also been penetrated by a tree branch. Now, on October 22, 1991, Unterweger, who had returned to Austria by this time, was brought in for questioning. He told investigators that he had talked to area sex workers in the past, but that was really part of his job. And he did admit on occasion that he had bought their services, but he denied knowing any of the victims. Only having circumstantial evidence, the investigators could not hold him, so they did release him. So investigators worked on gathering more evidence. They found a car that Unterveger owned when he first got out of prison. Now, it had been bought and had a new owner for about a year. Still, technicians were able to find one hair on the passenger seat headrest. The hair was sent off to a university lab for a analysis of the hair root in hopes of getting a DNA sequence to match to one of the victims. And investigators lucked out, because a match was made to the first victim, Blanca Bakova from Prague, killed in September 1990. Unfortunately, stronger evidence was needed for an arrest, since all it proved was that Blanca had been in Unterveger's car. Investigators then began to question area sex workers to see if they had any information they could share on Unterveger. And some of the sex workers did. They would report that Unterveger would insist that they wear handcuffs when they had sex. One worker reported that she saw Unterveger approach her friend Heidi Marie Hammerer the night she disappeared. She was also able to tell investigators that Unterveger wore a brown leather jacket, the night he had picked up Heidi Marie. Based upon the hair analysis results and the identification from the sex workers, investigators were able to obtain a warrant to search Unterveger's apartment. Now, when they arrived, Unterveger wasn't there, but they still proceeded to collect clothing, including the brown leather jacket. And they also collected receipts from a trash can. One of those receipts was from a restaurant in Malibu, California, from nine months earlier. Now, unfortunately, no direct evidence was found during the search that could tie Unterveger to all the murders. At this point, the investigation began to stall. Austrian police, again, not having ever worked any serial murder cases before, decided to reach out to the FBI for assistance through the U.S. Embassy in Austria, because here in the U.S., authorities do have experience working in serial killer cases. They were connected with Special Agent Greg McCrary, who specialized in criminal profiling. Agent McCrary agreed to work with Austrian authorities to provide a profile, and he was looking at it from a point of, are we dealing with a single perpetrator, or are we perhaps dealing with multiple killers? And he was looking for a signature pattern to the crimes. So he specifically focused on the victims, and he didn't want to know of any suspects that they might have had. Now, meanwhile, a communication was sent to authorities in Los Angeles informing them that Unterweger was under suspicion in Austria for seven murders, and that they knew he had traveled to California the previous summer, for the restaurant receipts. As soon as the communication was received, Detective Fred Miller with the Los Angeles Police Department reached out to Austrian investigators, letting them know that they had three unsolved murders with a similar M.O. to the Austrian ones. Detectives in Los Angeles began to recreate a timeline of Unterweger's movements from the time he landed in California on June 2nd, 1990. Meanwhile, Unterweger continued to work the media back in Austria. He appeared on talk shows claiming that the police were trying to frame him for the murders because they were inept at finding the real killer. Unterweger remained a popular figure in Austria with many citizens siding with him, not believing he had anything to do with these murders. Meanwhile, back in Los Angeles, detectives were able to find out where Unterveger had been staying, which was the Cecil Hotel, located at 643 South Main Street, which was in close proximity from where the first two victims were last seen. Meanwhile, Agent McCreary's profile showed that the perpetrator had killed the European victims due to his impotence and feelings of insecurity about his masculinity. When he was unable to complete the sexual act after being stimulated by the sex workers, he lashed out in anger feeling that they were shaming him, so he strangled them in return, leaving them in exposed, humiliating positions. With the Los Angeles victims, McCrary saw ritualistic behavior similar to the European ones. McCrary felt that there was only one killer, and that killer happened to be an organized one. In August, the University Crime Lab finalized their report on fiber analysis of the clothing confiscated from the search warrant on Unterveger's apartment. The brown leather jacket that Unterveger owned was tested and showed that the fibers from the lining of the jacket matched fibers found on Heidi Mary Hammerer's body. So investigators wanted to link Unterveger to all the murders, not just Heidi Marie's. So they next utilized VICAP, which stands for the Violent Criminal Apprehension Program at the FBI headquarters. They loaded 15 detailed criteria from each of the victims from both the United States and in Europe the computer statistically linked all 11 murders to Unterweger. Agent McCreary felt that Unterweger was an intelligent psychopath who was also highly manipulative. So an arrest warrant was obtained, an Austrian SWAT team raided Unterweger's Vienna apartment, but he had fled along with his teenage lover, Bianca Mrak. Bianca was 18 years old and had met Unterweger at a wine bar where she waitressed. The couple would lead an international manhunt through Switzerland, France, Canada, and eventually back to the United States. Now, Unterweger, while on the run, didn't stay quiet, as he would often call into Austrian media, proclaiming his innocence in one breath and then taunting the police in the other. He claimed that his flight was not a show of guilt, and he would be more than happy to return to Austria if the arrest warrant was withdrawn. The couple weren't really savvy in covering their trail because they they left a lot of breadcrumbs for a authorities to follow, mostly due to a trail of receipts. They had also found out that Bianca's mother had been wiring the couple money, so they met with her and asked her that the next time they contacted her to notify them, and she did. The couple had contacted her when they had landed in Miami, again asking for more money. Now the reason for hiding out in Miami was due to Unterveger's girlfriend liking actor Don Johnson, who had starred in the television show Miami Vice. Unterveger was taken into custody with no resistance, on February 27, 1992. He was accused of murdering 11 women in total, seven in Austria, three in California, and one in Czechoslovakia, all since his release from prison about 13 months prior. Now, while being held in Miami, DNA samples were collected and a match was made through semen analysis to Shannon Exley. Apparently, there had been some found on her body. With Austria and the United States wanting to try Unterweger, a jurisdictional battle between the two countries began. Now, Czechoslovakia was not really interested in trying him at this point, instead leaving it up to one of the other two countries. Now, eventually, it was agreed upon that Unterweger would be tried in Austria, not only for their seven murders but the other murders in the United States and Czechoslovakia as well. Unterweger was extradited to Austria and indicted on all those murders on May 27, 1992. In Austria, their laws allow for the prosecution of any crimes that are committed anywhere in the world, If they're committed by Austrian citizens, it doesn't matter. They weren't just looking at their seven murders. They're like, no, you're one of ours. So we're going to try you for all these murders. Prosecuting Unterweger was going to be difficult, however, as much of the Austrian public still admired him and believed he was innocent. Unterveger's trial didn't begin until April 20, 1994, due to legal delays. His trial would last for two months, with FBI agents testifying as to their investigation and tying Unterveger to both the European and the United States murders, based upon both forensic and circumstantial evidence. According to one Los Angeles detective who had attended and testified in Unterveger's trial, he likened it to the O.J. Simpson trial here in the U.S. due to the amount of media attention it had received. On June 28, the jury was in the middle of their deliberations when a bit more drama had occurred when a bomb blast went off outside the courthouse. this didn't delay their deliberations however as they came back with a conviction Johann Jack Unterweger was convicted on nine of the 11 counts of murder in a six to two majority in Austria at the time the majority was allowed for conviction. he was acquitted of two of the murders mostly due to the deterioration of the bodies and not having enough evidence beyond a reasonable doubt to convict the judge didn't waste any time sentencing Unterveger to life in prison without the possibility of parole, and he was sent off to a maximum security institution. Now, life in prison, however, wouldn't last long for Unterveger, as he was found dead in his cell on June 29, 1994. This was just about six hours after he was sentenced. He had hung himself from a curtain rod in his cell using the drawstrings from his prison uniform. It was also said he used the same type of knots he used on his victims. And that was also another thing that got him convicted, because all of these victims had the same signature knots. There were also several cassette tapes found in his cell, but to this day, those contents have never been released. FBI agent McCrary felt that Unterveger killing himself was not due to him feeling distraught over returning to prison, something Unterveger said he would never go back to. To agent McCrary, this was more of Unterveger's last act of control. Now, the kicker to all this is that under Austrian law, Unterweger's convictions are not were not legally binding since he had indicated that he had planned to appeal. So I guess if you make that indication and he of course took his own life and could not complete that process his convictions, his original convictions weren't legally binding Now Unterweger may have taken his own life but his notoriety will live on In 1985, Unterweger was still in prison for the murder of Margaret Schaefer when German music artist Falco you remember here in the United States, I believe Falco had a big hit with Rock Me Amadeus. Well, he wrote a song called "Jenny," which depicts a murderous rapist who vaguely referenced Unterveger's crimes. In 2008, actor John Malkovich portrayed Unterveger in a stage production entitled Infernal Comedy. In an article written in The Guardian, John Malkovich talked about meeting Unterveger, not knowing at the time he had already killed three women. So this was like right after he got out of prison and he was fairly well known and they had no idea that he was a murderous psychopath. Unterveger's story can also be seen on the small screen with episodes about his crimes on an episode of FBI Files, Killer Abroad, I have a link in the show notes, and investigative ID crime stories, Horror at the Cecil Hotel. That's episode three, entitled 1402. So that episode highlighted his crimes while in Los Angeles. The most recent reference regarding Unterveger's stay at the Cecil Hotel was on crime Scene. The Vanishing at the Cecil Hotel, and I believe that's on Netflix. All right, everybody, that is the episode of the celebrity writer serial killer. Unterweger was also known as the Vienna Woods serial killer and the Vienna Strangler. If you enjoyed this episode, which I hope you did, if you could take a moment, if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to us on, we would greatly appreciate it. If you could leave us a five star, we'd appreciate it even more. So if you'd like to reach out to us, or you'd like some more information regarding this case, you can go to our website at criminaldiscoursepodcast.com. On there, you will see all of our show notes. And keep in mind, they are just our notes. We are not professional journalists and our resources that we use. And we also have a contact page. So thank you, thank you to all those that have reached out to us through the contact page. Some have left us some wonderful comments and some really good case suggestions that we are working on. You could also go to our Facebook page criminal discourse podcast or our Instagram page at criminal dis pod. And we also have a YouTube channel where we release little sneak peeks of upcoming episodes. And also I believe on there two or three full episodes that we've done. I know two of them are Butch to the Amityville murders and Kendall Francois, the Poughkeepsie killer. All right. So as I always in the episode, If you see something, say something, you might have that missing piece of the puzzle it takes to solve a crime like the retired detective who was reading the newspaper and he's reading about how these victims are found and how they've been killed. And that strikes a memory like, wait a minute. I've seen this before. And he notified authorities. That's what really put them on Unterveger's trail. And of course, we want you to stay safe. And let's remember that in this world where all this craziness happens, we need to also be a little kind to one another. All right. So next time, I'm sure Maddie will be joining us for our next episode. So until then, take care, everybody. Bye.